Welcome to Prime Minister's Questions. Cat Smith. Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I have been asked to reply on behalf of my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister. He is currently travelling to Japan to attend the G7 summit. Mr Speaker, I am sure that colleagues from across the House will join me in congratulating Liverpool for its wonderful staging of the Eurovision Song Contest on behalf of Ukraine. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. The Royal Lancaster Infirmary is a 130-year-old crumbling hospital and was meant to be one of the government's 40 new hospitals. However, the funding announcement has been delayed four times already, so can the Deputy Prime Minister reassure my constituents that this is not going to be another broken Tory promise? I can absolutely assure the Honourable Lady that we remain fully committed to those 40 hospitals from our manifesto, and indeed, we have already provided £3.9 billion worth of initial capital. Craig McKinley. Mr Speaker, I have a very serious matter affecting every constituency to, to bring to my right honourable friend's attention. Amazon have been facilitating the sale of counterfeit postage stamps from China, virtually perfect except for the barcode. I've contacted the uh, NCA, the National Trading Standards, and I'm afraid I've received woeful responses. I've now sent my concerns to the Serious Fraud Office and the Economic Crime Unit of the City of London Police. Amazon are patently facilitating remittances of illegal gotten cash, uh, and I believe this is in contravention of the Forgery and Counterfeiting Act 1981. Can my right honourable friend assist me in taking this further? Well, Mr Speaker, may I pay tribute to my honourable friend? I know how hard he has been campaigning on this important issue. The Home Secretary will have heard his remarks. I would say that the Digital Markets and Competition and Consumer Bill does put duties on those platforms, and ultimately, if fraud is being perpetrated, the police should take action. We now come to the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and it's a pleasure to welcome yet another Deputy Prime Minister to the dispatch box, the third deputy that I've faced in three years. And you know what they say, the third time's a charm. And, and I'm also pleased to note, Mr Speaker, that the Prime Minister has a working-class friend, finally. I seem to remember that after the loss of 300 Conservative seats at last year's local elections, the right honourable gentleman resigned, saying someone must take responsibility. After a thousand more Conservative councillors had been given the boot by voters, who does he think is responsible now? Well, Mr Speaker, in the, in the, the spirit of the right honourable lady's opening remarks, can I just say it really is a pleasure to see the right honourable lady here today. I was, though, expecting to face the Labour leader's choice for the next Deputy Prime Minister if they win the election. Uh, so I'm surprised that the Lib Dem leader isn't taking questions today. And Mr Speaker, you will forgive me. 
<laughs> Mr. Speaker, you, you will forgive me if I take the right honourable lady's predictions with a pinch of salt. After all, she confidently predicted that the right honourable member for Islington North would one day be Prime Minister. Remember, this is a man who wanted to abolish the army, scrap Trident, withdraw from NATO and abandon Ukraine. And what did she say to that? She couldn't wait for him to be Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, it's absolutely amazing that while the Labour Party is preparing to govern with a Labour majority, his party is starting to prepare for opposition, Mr Speaker. And this week, at the National Conservative Conference, a member for Devisers blamed the country's problems on a new religion. He even hit out at the dystopian fantasy of John Lennon. The member for Pentastone and Stockbridge said identifying falling birthing rates is the overarching threat to the UK. She criticised woke teaching in for destroying children's souls and causing self-harm and suicide among people. And the right honourable member for North East Somerset really let the cat out the bag when he said parties that try to gerrymander end up finding their clever schemes come back to bite them, as dare I said we found when insisting on voter ID. The right honourable gentleman opposite, while working in number 10, said he had to listen to the radio every morning to find out what was really going on in the country. Apparently, he was surprised on a daily basis by what he learned, and most of his time was spent on day-to-day crisis management. Eleven years on, Mr Speaker, nothing has changed. I'm not quite sure what the question was then, Mr Speaker. But uh, if she wants to talk about this, all this sort of thing, we all know what's going on with her and her leader. It's all lovey-dovey on the surface. They turn it on for the cameras, but as soon as they're off, it's a different story. They're at each other's throats. Mr Speaker, they're the Phil and Holly of British politics. Deputy Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The reality is, after 13 years of Tory rule, they're still lurching from crisis to crisis and wallowing in their own mess. They can't solve the crisis because they are the crisis. The Honourable Member opposite should take more note of what's happening at his conferences in his party before trying to make up what's happening in mine. The Prime Minister pledged that by March NHS waiting lists would fall. It's now May. So can he tell us, since he made that pledge, is the number of people waiting on late waiting lists higher or lower? Mr Speaker, we are making good progress, for example, with two-year waiting lists. But the Right Honourable Lady seems to forget a crucial fact. The United Kingdom experienced an unprecedented pandemic. Right before COVID, GP satisfaction was high. Delayed discharges were half. Ambulance targets were being met. And she knows that right now, in Labour-run Wales, exactly the same challenges are being faced. The difference between us is, on this side of the House, we've got a plan to fix it, while she's too busy playing petty politics. 
Mr Speaker, even before the pandemic, waiting lists were going up. So it doesn't wash that this government, after 13 years in power, is blaming everybody but themselves for what people are having to put up with. He appears to be claiming that 11,000 patients waiting more than 18 months is an achievement. The last Labour government reduced waiting times from 18 months to 18 weeks, and he can come back to me when he's achieved that. The fact is, Mr Speaker, waiting lists are longer than when the Prime Minister made his pledge five months ago. The number of people in England waiting to start hospital treatment is the highest since records began. 7.3 million patients left waiting. Now, I know the Prime Minister has his own private GP, so maybe he doesn't appreciate the urgency. But he's left people like my constituent, Carol, waiting for over a year for an urgent appointment, moved from waiting list to waiting list with appointments cancelled again and again. So if not now, when will waiting lists order, order, fall? Order. It'll continue till I hear the end of this question. The more, if I get any more interruptions, it will take longer. Angela Ray. Mr Speaker, they don't want to hear the question because they know the answer. Is that they failed the British people. So when will waiting lists fall? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, I would gently say to the Right Honourable Lady, if she cares that much about access to our health care, why is she opposing our minimum service levels? They will provide core emergency services with vital cover during healthcare strikes. Does she not think that vulnerable patients deserve that level of care, or is she too weak to stand up to her union paymasters? Mr Speaker, we all, we all want minimum service levels. It's this government. It's this government that have failed to provide minimum service levels in all of our trains, in all of our public services, because they've run them down and mismanaged them for the last 13 years. Now, it's not just waiting times, Mr Speaker. 13 years after the landmark Marmot review into child poverty, Sir Michael says this government is on track to make child poverty worse with more than a quarter of our children living in poverty last year. When I was a young mum, I remember the sick feeling in my stomach not knowing if my wages would cover the bills. Yet his government has taken a wrecking ball to measures by the last Labour government to eradicate child poverty, even abolishing the child poverty unit. They tried to justify this by saying they no longer needed a child poverty unit because they have abolished the child poverty targets. So can he tell us? What level of poverty he considered to be a success? I would say to the right hon. Lady, this comprehensive schoolboy is not going to take any lectures from the party opposite about the lives of working people. What I would say is that we have introduced record increases in the national living wage, something that this party introduced, the party opposite failed to do so, and we have taken one million working-age people out of poverty altogether. That is the record of my party, and one of which I am very proud. Mr Speaker, the last Labour government made it their mission to reduce the number of children in poverty by a million. We achieved that. 
Under the Tories, child poverty is nearly back to the level it was when Labour last inherited the Tory mess. After 13 years of the Tories, they're stuck in a conveyor belt of crisis. And while his party is preparing for opposition with their Trump Tribute Act conference over the road, <laughs> Labour are focused on fixing the real problems facing British people. The Tories have picked their side. They're for the vested interests, for the oil companies and the bankers, for those that are profiting from the crisis and not suffering from it. Whether it's failing the millions of people anxiously waiting for treatment or overseeing a rise in child poverty. And while these colleagues spout nonsense at their carnival of conspiracy, I want to know when will his party stop blaming everybody else and realise that the problem is them? Mr Speaker, I will proudly defend our record in office. Crime down 50%, near record levels of employment, a record minimum wage. And what, Mr Speaker, what's their record? Four general election defeats, 30 promises already broken, and one leader who let anti-Semitism run wild. That is why the British people will never trust the Labour Party. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Would my right honourable friend please send his condolences to the family of Hilton Ward councillor Gillian Lemon, who at the young age of 52 tragically died partway through the election count on Friday. This means that the whole election for all three councillors has had to be voided, even though the returning officer was ready to declare three Conservative councillors for the Hilton Ward. Perhaps following this dreadful experience, my right honourable friend will confirm that the best way to thank Councillor Gillian Lemon for her service is for the good people of Hilton Ward in South Derbyshire to vote again three times for the three Conservative candidates on Thursday the 15th of June. Well, Mr Speaker, may, may I extend uh, my deepest sympathies on behalf uh, of these benches and the Conservative Party to Councillor Gillian Lemon's family. We all know how incredibly hard local councillors work, and she was a strong representative of South Derbyshire. And like my honourable friend, I do hope that the people of Hilton Ward will reflect on this by voting for Conservative candidates at the forthcoming election. We now come to the Deputy Leader of the SNP, Murray Black. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 2016, the Deputy Prime Minister told his constituents in a blog that it was his duty to, and I quote, furnish them with all the facts that are available with regards to Brexit. Today, Brexit Britain faces higher food prices, a lack of workers, a shrinking economy, and a decline in living standards. Why is he happy to ignore those facts? Yeah. The Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, we have one of the fastest growth rates in the whole of the G7 since Brexit. And we, the, we, all, we all know, and in fairness, we all know the policy of the SNP. And they said it this weekend, I quote, we need to undo Brexit. But let me tell you, if I were them, I'd start by undoing the mess they've left Scotland in and start working with the United Kingdom government and focus on the priorities of the Scottish people, not the priorities of their party. Yeah. Yeah. Black. Check the Mr Speaker, the, 
The only thing more deluded than that defence of Brexit is the Labour Party's support of it. (laughs) Just today, the world's fourth largest car manufacturer said that Brexit was, and again I quote, a threat to our export business and the sustainability of our UK manufacturing options. Even Nigel Farage can admit that Brexit has failed. So, Mr Speaker, why can't he? Yeah, Deputy Prime Minister. Right. I would say to the Honourable Lady, one of the best ways of getting behind industry in this country is get behind the trade deals we are striking with many countries around the world, which they have singularly failed to oppose. And, and I see last week the SNP promised to build a new Scotland. I don't know whether she's aware, but the SNP have been in power for 13 years. Perhaps they should, they should stop their focus on independence and focus on the priorities of the Scottish people. Mr McBee. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituency has a problem with travellers. My constituency has a problem with travellers pitching on private land and common land and causing a nuisance currently on Parkgate Industrial Estate in Nutsford. Either the police don't have sufficient powers to deal with this issue, or they do have sufficient powers, but they're not using them. So will the Deputy Prime Minister get the government to speak with Cheshire Police to ensure that they do have the powers to deal with this plight on our local community and that they use them? Well, uh, the the Right Honourable Lady, my right honourable friend, is absolutely right to highlight the misery caused by unauthorised encampments. I've seen this in my own constituency as well. I understand that Home Office officials do regularly liaise with the National Police Chiefs Council on this, but of course my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, will have heard my right honourable friend's representations and I trust she will act on those. Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Mr Speaker, the Deputy Prime Minister will be aware of the ongoing concerns of unionists in Northern Ireland about our ability to trade freely within the United Kingdom and its internal market, given the continued application of EU law on the manufacture of all goods in Northern Ireland. We now have proposals for a future border operating model that could potentially create further barriers to trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. Will the Deputy Prime Minister give me an assurance that the Government will, in law, protect Northern Ireland's ability to trade freely within and with the rest of the United Kingdom? Yes, well, I, I would like to say that we have already shown a willingness to legislate to protect Northern Ireland's place. Uh, within the Union, and we are committed to providing exactly the protections that the Right Honourable Gentleman uh, refers to around Northern Ireland's unfettered access to the whole United Kingdom market. So I can give those assurances, and of course we stand ready to work with the Right Honourable Gentleman and representatives across unionism to reflect the further steps required to strengthen our precious union. Angela Richardson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Throughout the early hours of Saturday morning, I was out with Cathy, Peter, Joe and Tim, who volunteer as Guildford Street Angels. I pay tribute to them and all the volunteers who are out every weekend and in all weathers. But, Mr Speaker, it's an absolute disgrace that the Liberal Democrat-run council shut the public loose. At night, there are no single-sex spaces for our young women, and they are seeking out dark, secluded areas if they're caught short, which is dangerous. They are at increased risk of sexual assault. 
Will my right honourable friend join me in calling for the immediate reopening of the town centre loos in Guildford? Well, I, I thank my honourable friend for raising this a very important issue, and, and sadly, I'm afraid that's what one might expect from a Lib Dem run council. Uh, I do join her in thanking the Guildford Street Angels for all of their efforts, and I'm sure that they and she will continue to make those views known to Guildford Borough Council. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Many of my constituents are struggling to pay the bills and put food on the table. Food prices uh, have risen by over 19% in the last year, with the cheapest infant formula up 45%, gas prices up 129%, electricity up 67%. Many report borrowing more money than this time last year. With car manufacturers threatening to move production, the OBR saying $100 billion has been lost from the economy forever, and wages falling further and further behind uh, basic living expenses. So does he really still believe his government's kamikaze Brexit is the living for the people of these isles? Deputy Prime Minister. I certainly do believe that, uh, Mr Speaker. And I would, I would say to the, to, to, to the members on those benches that it is only because of the strength of our United Kingdom that we are able to afford the sort of interventions, for example, that we have had with the cost of living, with over £3,300 for every single family in our United Kingdom paid for by a 75% windfall tax on oil and gas companies. That's the United Kingdom delivering on the cost of living. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 2016, we secured over £300 million for the modernisation of A&E services in Shropshire. Six years on, that money has still not been spent and construction hasn't started. I have a real concern about the quality of managers within our local NHS Trust that this decision has not been taken. What can my right honourable friend do to help us in Shropshire to ensure that finally this £312 million is spent and that A&E services are modernised because there is nothing more important than the safety of constituents when they go into A&E services? Uh, well, I, I pay tribute to my honourable friend for raising this issue. I know that his constituents are anxious for building work to get underway as soon as possible, and I know that the Department for Health are working closely with NHS England and the Trust to support the development of the scheme. And the Trust is due to submit plans to the Department for Health in the coming months, and the Department will work at pace to review those plans. Marshal de Cordova. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Leaseholders in Battersea are trapped in an outdated and unfair leasehold system. The Secretary of State said, and I quote, the Government would absolutely maintain a commitment to abolish the leasehold system and would bring forward legislation shortly. But we now know that this is no longer the case. So, Deputy Prime Minister, why has the Government yet again done another U-turn and yet again broken a never promise to leaseholders to scrap its plans to end the outdated leaseholder system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to reassure the Honourable Lady and members of this House that the Government is committed to reforming the leaseholder system to give homeowners greater control and give cheaper uh, access to leaseholder renewal. Uh, including a 990-year extension with zero financial ground rent, and we will set out plans for further reforms later in this Parliament. Sir Desmond Sway. What would be a reason for extending the general election franchise 
to settle the EU citizens, a population of voters equal to the number in Wales? Well, uh, I, I think the, my, my uh, honourable friend is referring to the plans from the party opposite. And it's actually quite interesting that, that this week, while we're pushing ahead with legislation to break the smuggling gangs, what's Labour's big idea? Give foreign nationals a say in our elections. So there we have it. While the Conservatives will stop the boats, Labour will rig the votes. Speaker, uh, I was concerned to read last week that the Prime Minister had to be airlifted to a pharmacy in Southampton after suffering electoral dysfunction. <laughs> Several weeks earlier, he flew all the way from Lancashire to Yorkshire by private jet. Meanwhile, angry rail commuters faced the reality of cancellations longer journey times and are unable to get to work on time as operators shed services. The public think that the Prime Minister's got his head in the clouds. They're right, aren't they? It is quite extraordinary, Mr Speaker, to take lectures from the party opposite about the railways when actually the head of the train drivers' union actually sits on Labour's NEC. And indeed she was described by the right on the lady, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, as, quote, one of us. No wonder Labour won't stand up to the militant rail unions. They literally let them drive their policies. Mr Speaker, incredible regeneration work is taking place on Teesside, led by our Mayor, Ben Houchard. We have seen a shameful attempt to smear the amazing Teesworks project, led by the Honourable Member for Middlesbrough, who I've given advance notice to. Will he confirm that it was always an integral part of the business case that the private sector should co-invest alongside government and that the Teesworks arrangements themselves have been checked and approved by the government? And will he reconfirm his full support for the Teesworks projects, reassure investors and join me in calling for the Labour Party to apologise for talking down Teesside? My right honourable friend is absolutely correct to raise this issue. It is the UK's first free port and it continues to attract billions of pounds of private sector investment, creating jobs and supporting the local economy. And I think the whole House will see through the inexcusable attempts by the Labour Party to talk down those successes on Teesside, where local leaders are working tirelessly to improve that region for the first time in a generation. I Mr Speaker, in 2011, the first year that the Tories came into government, 61,000 people received emergency food parcels from food banks. In 2022-23, that figure had gone up to nearly 3 million, one million of them children. It's gone up every year that the Conservatives have been in power bar one. So will he tell the House, is that a record that he proudly defends? I'm very proud of the fact that this government has given record numbers of people the opportunity to have jobs and employment, which is the surest route out of poverty. And it is the case that I believe up to 3.6 million new jobs have been created under this government. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's truly excellent news to see England rising up the international league tables for reading to become the highest performing country in the Western world. That's testament to the hard work of our teachers and the dedication of our honourable friend for Bogner to follow evidence-based policy. But this progress will only be sustained if children are in school regularly uh, able to learn. So can I strongly commend to him and to the Government the 10-minute rule bill presented by my honourable friend for Mion Valley. It has cross-party support, delivers on key recommendations of the Education Select Committee and the Children's Commissioner. The Government should adopt it as soon as possible. Well, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right to highlight those brilliant figures which show that we've now jumped to the fourth best in the whole world for reading. And I certainly see in, in schools it's much, much more demanding than it was in my day. And that's tribute to the ministerial team that have done such a, a fabulous job. I will, of course, examine the details of the 10-minute rule bill to which he refers. Tommy Shepherd. Mr Speaker, it is an open secret that many in the Conservative Party would wish to roll back the democratic gains of devolution either in part or completely. The noble Lord Frost, former minister, the architect of the disastrous Brexit agreement and now, I believe, seeking a safe Tory seat in this chamber, recently let the cat out of the bag when he said the government should review and roll back some devolved powers. Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree with him? I would say to the honourable gentleman, the only thing that will destroy devolution is a vote for independence in Scotland, as advocated by those on those benches. Matt Hancock. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. And uh, can I congratulate my right honourable friend on a brilliant first performance at Prime Minister's question. Will he keep the government laser-focused on the issues that matter to people like the cost of living in the NHS? And on the issues of the future, like artificial intelligence, which needs regulatory <laughs> attention, and ignore the reactionary voices, no matter where they come from. Well, my, my right hand friend is, is absolutely right to, to highlight this. I'm incredibly optimistic about the future of this country in industries uh, across the piece, including digital or indeed film and television in my own constituency. We're genuinely world-leading, creating high-quality jobs that we want our children or grandchildren to have. Sean Watt. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Half the children in Newcastle Central are growing up in poverty. Over the last five years, the delivery of food parcels to North East children has risen by 250%. The number of North East children who are homeless rose by 50% last year. On average, their parents' wages will have fallen by £1,000, and if any of this affects their mental health, they face a five-month wait for treatment. Why is his government making it so hard for our kids? I I really think this House needs a a correction on the facts, given what's, what's come from the party opposite. It is the case that because of our national living wage, uh, defined as more than at least two-thirds of median income, that's at its lowest point for years, and we've actually lifted 1.7 million people out of absolute poverty altogether. That is the track record of this government. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The people of Longport and Burslem, as well as Port Hill and my neighbouring constituency, uh, neighbour of Newcastle and Delime, are suffering because of cowboy waste disposalers like Staffordshire Waste, who have now been again done for having waste that was not meant to be on site and have been given a uh, notice 
by the Environment Agency. What support can I get in holding these people to account and making sure that their retrospective planning application for a site that they're using, which they didn't get planning permission on before using, yeah, is rejected by Stoke-on-Trent City Council? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> my, my honourable friend is right to raise this uh, this issue of, of, of those kind of people, and indeed we often see them associated with fly tipping, which is a blight on our landscape. I will ensure that I raise all the issues that he has raised with me with my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up, who has ministerial responsibility for this. Rachel Maskell. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Crisis mental health services are in crisis. Patients and families gaslit and at risk. It is Mental Health Awareness Week, but no government awareness to ensure my constituents are safe, nor funding and workforce needs met. So why is his government sat on their hands with a devastating report, sat on the Health Secretary's desk, while while patients in York and across the NHS are being failed? Can I and the Trust have an urgent meeting? Well, I'm sure one of my ministerial colleagues in the health team will be happy to have that meeting. I would just say that under this government, we've put more money into mental health services, and actually we're funding 150 wider capital schemes. So this government has made mental health services a priority. Final question, Virginia Crosby. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week is Wales Tourism Week, an opportunity to celebrate one of Wales' most important businesses, which represents 10% of all jobs, supports Welsh farmers and food producers, and generates £6 billion in economic activity each year. Would the Deputy Prime Minister join me in thanking all those that work in the Wales tourism sector, and would he agree with me that this UK Government's TIPS bill demonstrates its commitment to supporting the tourism sector, unlike Labour in Cardiff, whose proposed tourism tax will undermine visits and undermine jobs? Well, of course, I'm most happy to give that commitment to my honourable friend. Indeed, I have spent many happy family holidays in Wales and plan to do so again next year. That completes Prime Minister's questions.